with my brain in her body, I would be Thanos. I would conquer the universe. Now with her brain in her body, she's just a pretty propagandist. Let's talk about conspiracies and narratives and propaganda. What I've noticed is this weird phenomenon that's happening. College-educated people who are supposed to be the creme de la creme, they are completely done with critical thinking. They've outsourced all of it and all of their outrage and all of their opinions to a bunch of, I don't know, talking heads and publications, some of which were very reputable at some point and have morphed right under their feet, but they just stopped asking questions. And they're buying into all sorts of absurd narratives. Let's say you have a person and you ask them, hey, how do you plan to spend your 70s and 80s? And if their answer is clinging to power, you should be incredibly skeptical. You should be on your toes, whether it's Trump, which, yes, it's obvious that that's a guy who, who wants power and has an ego. But what about Pelosi? What about Biden? What about Elizabeth Warren? What about Bernie? What the hell are they doing? Why aren't they playing with their grandkids? Why isn't Bernie's dandruff on his cat? It's on his suit because he's still going into work. Why is he still going into work? Because he's trying to save America or because there's something wrong with these people? Why is Nancy Pelosi sitting on $150 million that she made miraculously knowing how to trade better than Warren Buffett while being in office? At least turn them into a hedge fund and, and let us invest in it and make some money. The point is that we stopped asking people questions because we believe they share our values or, or something. Anyway, so these are the smartest people we have to offer. <laughs> then on the other side are the people who don't have college educations and are asking questions, but they're critically thinking themselves into conspiracies. So they're, they believe nothing is real. <laughs> like there is no truth anymore. So when they uh, found all of these bodies in Ukraine, um, in uh, this region that was occupied by Russian troops. They weren't buying it. There were photos from AP, from Reuters, from all these companies. Like the effort it would take for all of them to collude together to put all these fake photos up of, of all these charred bodies and rape victims and children who were brutalized, all this would be insane. But they're completely dismissive. You see them on Twitter and like people who, you know, look like real accounts and supposedly have brains in their heads were like, oh, this is this is all fake. This is this is all lies. I'm like, what went wrong? <laughs> what went wrong? The people who should be critically thinking aren't, and the people who shouldn't <laughs> are, and, and we've got a problem on our hands, like a serious, serious problem. And David French, who's a conservative, but sort of an old school style conservative, he had a great quote. He said, don't for a moment mistake contrarianism for critical thinking. A true critical thinker holds all sides accountable for their mistakes. And we're not doing that. You're just picking a side and going, okay, well, that side is right no matter what. No, you got to ask questions, especially when you've got these old farts clinging to power. 
And one tactic that's being used right now is labels. This is a racist, this is a white supremacist, this is a libtard. You try to label them and then you can dismiss them wholesale. Well, I don't think we can afford to be dismissing any publication or independent source wholesale because I don't think we're often getting truth from mainstream sources. And when it comes to Ukraine, there's definitely a conspiracy brain rot that's happening where there's a whole bunch of people who are like, well, you care about Ukraine, but what about this? You didn't care about Darfur, you didn't care about this. Or one imperfection immediately discounts. It's like, oh, well, clearly you deserved a mass grave because you know your leader had some offshore accounts. Just because the victim isn't pristine or perfect doesn't mean that their cause isn't just or moral. So you got to use a scalpel and not a hammer. It's sort of like uh, brain surgery in the 1800s. They made a big mess. They cut out big chunks and, and you ended up drooling for the rest of your life all over your dog. A lot of this is the result of... You know, the conspiracy types will call it a deep state, the blob, or the swamp. They are referring to a lot of people who are festering in government and have their own little fiefdoms and agendas because they're profiting off of certain types of dealings. For example, in a Department of Defense, State Department, these are uh, legacy people with legacy ideas, the way they monetize is by going to work for military contractors. That's how generals make money. And a lot of politicians are either directly funded by military companies or they these military companies did a brilliant thing. They scattered their operations ar uh, across 48 states. So now a cutback in military is a cutback in jobs. And what congressperson or senator wants to do that? And some of the senators invest in these companies. But deep inside of government are people like John Bolton. Remember, he's the guy with the weird mustache. Uh, Trump didn't want to hire him because this guy is a nut, a war hawk. And he was pushed in there by a lot of the Republicans because Trump wasn't that interested in policy. So a lot of the stuff that was you know, that he signed or was pawned off on him, he just cared about wins. He has no guiding philosophy. Uh, these are some of the editorials that he's written. One was for the Wall Street Journal, and the title was, the legal case for striking North Korea first. Another one that he wrote, to stop Iran's bomb, bomb Iran. Then he was quoted as saying, uh, U.S. National Security John Bolton calls for a coup in Venezuela. And uh, then uh, another one says, John Bolton left because Trump wouldn't let him start a war. John Bolton is a perfect example of the swamp. I would not be surprised if uh, he makes a bunch of money off military contracts. These are the creatures that reside inside of these organizations, inside, inside the State Department, Department of Defense. They are signing contracts and really killing people at the end of the day because the only way to clear out room for new inventory is to get rid of the old inventory. And the way you get rid of bombs is you bomb people. And John Bolton is exactly one of these people. And today I'm going to talk to you about another such person who is going to make an appearance multiple times in this podcast, who is also very much representative of this swamp. Her name is Victoria Newland, and she is in the Biden administration, but uh, she's been in many, many administrations, and I will explain shortly. You will not want to miss it. <laughs> 
So one thing that the media almost never mentions is our role in creating Putin and putting him in power. There was even a really funny Time magazine cover called Yanks to the Rescue with a picture of Boris Yeltsin holding an American flag. And the subtitle was The Secret Story of How American Advisors Helped Yeltsin Win. Robert Rubin, Jeffrey Sachs, and Larry Summers, who've all served in the Clinton administration and, and other administrations, they helped advise Yeltsin on how to basically become a capitalist society. But they advised him to do it so poorly and so fast that the entire thing collapsed. So the U.S. helped put not only Boris Yeltsin into power, but we also accelerated this shock to the system that they just couldn't handle. They weren't ready for it. When those things came crumbling down, there was one guy a nobody, just a KGB agent who did a good job of getting one of the, I think it was one of the oligarchs uh, under Yeltsin out of the country. He did such a good job that Yeltsin turned to him and said, hey, you know, why don't you become the interim successor until we find somebody else? Well, the someone else never came. So the same way Arab Spring led to democracies for like 10 minutes until they voted all new autocrats in. Same thing in Russia. They had uh, democracy and capitalism and perestroika, thanks to our sage wisdom. Very quickly, the whole thing collapsed and they had to find a temp. <laughs> Putin is the most vicious evil temp in the history of temp work. It's the temp who never leaves. It's like that Seinfeld episode where Kramer got fired and kept showing up as if he still worked there. Putin kept showing up until he became the permanent guy. Learned the ropes, used the ropes to choke some people out. But Russia is not our only intervention. In 2013 and 2014, the U.S. was very heavily involved in the coup in Ukraine. Yanukovych, who was the president at the time, was on the verge of signing a deal with the European Union to do a trade deal. And last minute, he decided not to sign the deal. And the reason, of course, is he was buddy-buddy with Putin, and Putin didn't want him to sign because he wanted a puppet regime there. And the people didn't like that. The people wanted to move towards Europe. They were done with moving towards Putin. And... There were protests all over the streets. Both police and protesters were killed by sniper fire during the protests, 88 people in total. The media in Ukraine and the world media largely blamed Yanukovych. As it turns out, this is a quote, snipers were also trained in Poland as, quote, a favor to Washington, said Polish politician Janusz Korwin-Mikke in an interview with Wirtunka Polska. <laughs> I'm going to have trouble with these names. And when asked for evidence, uh, he said, quote, I am sitting in the European Parliament next to Mr. Urmas Payet, the Estonian foreign minister who admitted in an interview with Baroness Catherine Ashton of Upholland that it was our people who shot on the Maidan, which is the square where the snipers shot people. We wanted to install a friendly government in Ukraine, 
next door to Putin. And one of the architects of this, in fact, the main architect, was a woman named Victoria Newland. At the time, Newland was serving in the Obama administration, and a phone call got leaked where she named three people who would make America and Europe-friendly replacements for Yanukovych. And Victoria Newland was an interventionist figure, not only in the Obama administration, but she had served for Cheney before that, and before that she served in the Clinton administration. So one of the byproducts of this coup, aside from new elections, was essentially a civil war that's been raging in the Donbass region. That's where Russian separatists want to either create an independent entity or be part of Russia, and Russia has been supplying arms to them. 14,000 people had already been killed in that region from 2014 through whatever today is. It is complicated over there, and we very much had a hand in it. What was also interesting is when they finally kicked out Yanukovych, who they were accusing him of uh, enriching himself. Well, they discovered, I think it was uh, 345 acres of property. He had his own private zoo. I mean, he was living like a king. He was stealing tons of money. In fact, they had tons of oligarchs who were stealing money. So the corruption was deep and baked into Ukraine. And... It hasn't really been resolved. The guy who won the election, Petro Porchenko, he was uh, supported at the time by Zelensky and by Vitaly Klitschko, who's now mayor of Kiev. He was pro-EU, but he kind of dodged questions about NATO membership because he knew the kind of problems it could cause, as we can see. He wasn't exactly the most dynamic leader. His uh, slogan was military language faith. So he wanted to make Ukrainian uh, the official language, which he did. And he was very Western friendly. Of course, he had a chocolate factory in Russia while he was running Ukraine. He was the Willy Wonsky of Ukraine. And so, you know, people accused him of being corrupt. You have to understand, Eastern Europe is so poor. Ukraine specifically is the poorest country in Europe. And when you have a place like that, it runs on corruption. It's not like, oh, go get an education. There's tons of opportunity. Or you can be a social media influencer. There's no domestic economy. There's no bunch of rich people who have time to buy crappy products from you, but, you know, through Instagram. Their world is one of scarcity. Everyone's trying to get theirs. Same thing in Russia. The, you know, the cops, when they stop you, you grease them and that's how you get off. No rights, no legal system. You pay them off and you leave. In a way, culturally, Ukraine and Russia share that in common. There's a huge underclass. People don't have money. They try to get into these positions of authority or power. Like government is a spectacular position because that gives you access to money flows. So, of course, that begs the question, is Zelensky of stooge? Is he illegally elected? Is he a puppet for the West? Well, I did the research. There's nothing 
solid that would indicate that he's a stooge in any way. He has his preferences. And in fact, he represents people in the country who do want to move towards Europe and having a deal with Europe as well as NATO. But that's that's a different story. But you do have people on the right, like Lara Logan, who used to be a very reputable reporter during Arab Spring. She ended up getting raped and assaulted in Egypt during those protests. She recovered and worked for 60 Minutes, CBS. But I think she at some point went full Trump and full MAGA. And now I saw her on TV calling Zelensky a puppet and she's very obsessed with with the World Economic Forum, which uh, is next week's episode. Other than people like her, there wasn't really a lot of solid evidence. One of their big critiques is, look at this guy, you know, lying to us, trying to get us uh, sucked into enforcing a no-fly zone and engaging directly with Russia. If you're the leader of a country that is being attacked, your first obligation is to your people. Whether that causes a world war or not, at the moment, is not really his concern. His obligation is to the people that are getting murdered on the streets by Russian soldiers and bombs. So when he goes out there and says, hey, all we're asking for is a no-fly zone, which basically means we'd have to shoot down Russian planes, we have to make our own independent decision. Let's say armed home invaders were coming to your house and your wife and kids are home. Now, if you could call the police and tell them that there's an officer down, which would cut down their response time by 20 minutes, even though it's a lie, would you do it? So depending on your answer to that question, you can apply that parallel to Zelensky. What's also funny is the media has been fawning over this guy. You know, he's he's running around with his green T-shirt and, you know, he's he's a guest on the Grammys and everyone's swooning. Women are swooning like, oh, Zelensky, oh my, I am getting so, so warm thinking about Zelensky. And in fact, Zelensky is the only white guy legally allowed to slap Chris Rock. I checked the wartime intersectional charts. It's true. He was unavailable. So Will Smith, being the good guy that he is, stepped in and did the dirty work for Zelensky. So that was actually supposed to be Zelensky's role. A lot of people don't realize that. And I have to say, Zelensky really is a master of communication. So he, you know, he was a comedian. There's video of him playing piano with his balls. <laughs> I'm going to show a clip just because people are going to think I'm insane. That was a shtick, you know, so he and a couple other guys pull their pants down. They're standing in front of the piano. That's what he was known for. He was a comedian and he played president on TV. He was on game shows. Could you imagine if a game show host ever became president of this country? I mean, you know, Steve Harvey or Drew Carey or the guy from The Apprentice. I mean, how crazy would that be? Zelensky, he is a skilled communicator. He goes in front of all these different audiences and he presses all the right buttons I have in my notes here. So he went to the British and when he spoke to Parliament, he quoted Churchill. When he went to the Germans, he mentioned the Berlin Wall. 
when he went to the Israelis, he mentioned the Holocaust. He's like, you know, our battle is your battle. That's his thing. And then when he went to America, he quoted Martin Luther King. He's like, our battle for freedom is your battle for rights. So he knows what he's doing. The one weird thing that I found about Zelensky is he ran on this anti-corruption record, but two years ago it came out in the Pandora Papers where they uncovered all of these offshore accounts for all these rich people that he had all these super expensive apartments. I think he had like 75 million in assets and he had all these shell companies and people that he appointed like close advisors to hand stuff off to. So. You know, I don't know how much of it was normal money hiding for a popular celebrity, how much was ill-gotten, but compared to the norm in Eastern Europe, I hate to say it, but it, it's not so bad. And he didn't deny it. You know, he basically said, look, this is money that, you know, I was afraid would be confiscated in the country if something went down. There is no evidence that I could find. I mean, maybe someone's done more research than I have, but I couldn't find anything where he overtly stole anything from the people. What I am comfortable saying is even before the war, I got the sense that he was a step forward in the self-determination of Ukrainians. It's sort of like we went from believing in witches and burning them at the stake. That belief system got replaced with other belief systems. But as long as we keep moving towards fewer witches burned, it's an improvement. So in the corruption spectrum, and certainly now in the leadership spectrum, in terms of his determination to stand up for, for the country and fight, that is a huge advancement in terms of Ukrainian identity, where before it was a little bit mushy. The other thing I'm going to talk about in the Patreon episode is the whole idea of Nazis in Ukraine. A lot of the conspiracy theorists and Putin, who is king of some of these conspiracies, would make it central to the story. It's not, but it's worth addressing. Patreon.com forward slash McFuture. Let's talk about conspiracies. There are three C's that make conspiracies very hard to create in the first place. So, so the first is collusion. Oftentimes, you need a lot of different people to agree to do something. Have you ever tried to get even your own team at work to agree on uh, the color of the logo? <laughs> you know, like anything even trivial? It's not that easy, especially when it's asynchronous, where, you know, it's not in the same time zone, where there's not, where some of these people don't even know each other. So there is this difficulty of just getting everyone on the same page onto the same story. The second problem with a lot of conspiracies is they presume competence, especially among government people. This is not the greatest presumption ever. I, I don't know if you've ever been to the DMV and I don't know who the person is who works their way up to head the DMV or any of these government organizations. They don't run well. And the people who are in them kind of want to go home at 4.45. They're not really looking for some sort of project that engulfs them in some sort of uh, conspiracy. There might be a few, but typically those are ones whose job it is. So maybe State Department where keeping secrets is sort of part of the deal. But in most other places, it's just very hard. Not impossible. Some conspiracies do turn out to be true. But the presumption of competence is a big problem when it comes to the government. The third C is cover-up. 
it's tough to cover something up over time. You might be able to do it in a short period. One, two, three people can probably keep it together until they die. But once they tell somebody who they shouldn't tell or brag about it when they're drunk, it's just very, very hard. But you can create an environment where you throw so many crazy things out there that no one knows what to believe anymore. And I think we're kind of heading in that direction where the more lies are told by media or the more cover-ups get uncovered, the less trust there is. And the less trust there is, the more things become conspiracies. So these feed each other. What's making cover-ups harder and harder is media's fragmenting. And that's why you see former bottlenecks of information like the major networks or these news channels trying to rein it all in. They're trying to snipe all of the other sources. Once they lose control over the narrative, the ability to propagandize goes away. And we have been propagandized a lot. And you don't need to look much further beyond Iraq with weapons of mass destruction in order to realize how complicit media was in telling that lie. And I think lies of that ilk are still being told. And no story illustrates this situation better than the Hunter Biden story. In October 2020, the New York Post put out a story. They found Hunter Biden's laptop, which was abandoned at some repair center. Uh, it was abandoned because the guy was high off his ass. This laptop had all kinds of incriminating, insane stuff. Uh, photos of him doing blow, all of his emails and communications. Like, you name it, it was on there. The biggest revelation was that Hunter was getting paid $50,000 a month to be on the board of Burisma, which is the kind of the Gazprom of Ukraine. It's their big energy company. And the reason they were paying him is because he's such a spectacular, wonderful person who deserves all the wonderful things and the love in the world. No, <laughs> they were paying him because he's Joe Biden's son. And he can influence Ukraine, which at the time was investigating Burisma and Burisma executives. And so they wanted Biden to exert pressure on Ukraine to fire the prosecutor, which is exactly what Biden did. In fact, there's a video of him bragging about it in 2018. Um, I remember going over convincing our team, our <coughs> others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money." Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired, and they put in place someone who was solid. 
this guy is basically validating the story. And not only do we know that this happened, I think it was two months after Joe Biden left office. There's an email on that same laptop from Burisma saying that they're going to cut Hunter's compensation in half. So his whole compensation was clearly tied to performance. And one of the tasks that he performed was introducing a Burisma executive to Joe Biden, which was also validated in the emails. Joe performed his task and there was another email saying that, hey, uh, let's not forget to give 10% to the big guy. And on top of that, they impeached Trump on this basis because Trump was on the phone with Ukraine telling them to investigate this, to investigate Hunter Biden. He was correct and impeached for it, or at least partially that was, that was the reason. So there's a lot of dirt here. And how did American media react? Well, they promoted a letter that was written by 50 former NSA goons, CIA and whatever. So these guys wrote a bullshit letter saying that this has all the makings of Russian propaganda, this, this whole laptop story. And this was eagerly and voraciously promoted by all of the networks. And these journalists, they called the story unsubstantiated at best. It's reckless to even acknowledge the Post's report. And not only that, the social networks got in on the action. They banned not only posts of the story and sharing of the story, you couldn't even send it in a personal message. I remember copying the URL uh, from the New York Post and trying to send it to a friend on Facebook and it said, sorry, that, that link can't be sent. I forget the exact error message, but it was impossible to send. Twitter blocked it. Facebook blocked it. So all of these tentacles of the conspiracy propaganda industrial complex united media and social media and government in collaboration acted to block a story. Why? Why did they do that? Because they wanted Trump out. Now, you may want Trump out. You might think he's an idiot. Whatever evil things, demagogue, all the words that he's been called, all the insults, whatever you may think of him, if you approve of these tactics, it's just a matter of time before these things come for you. This is not always going to fall on your side. You are living under a delusion that is ominous. This is 1984 level stuff. This is government in collaboration with media and tech companies acting to change the results of an election, not through the ballot, but through information control by not reporting facts, which now we know is a fact because... New York Times came out and finally said, oh, this was real. This is legit. So now it's okay to talk. Now it's okay to say that it works. Now that the desired outcome has been achieved. Think of what this says about the country we live in and the power that these players have over us. This is not a petty situation. This is as legit a conspiracy as you'll find in recent history. 
And they're pulling the same BS, the same exact tactic when they try to go after people like Joe Rogan. They came out with a letter, 200 doctors signed a letter saying that uh, his medical advice is dangerous. What medical advice? He's a podcaster, comedian, and a commentator for MMA. He's not giving medical advice. He's giving an opinion. He's got guests that give their opinion, some of whom are very qualified. But then you look at that list. That list was not even doctors. These were some of them psychologists or psychiatrists. Or it, it was just like a random assemblage of people. The list was debunked. But... It was propagated through media and social media as if it was fact as a weapon to take down someone who has the power to threaten official narratives. This is extremely dangerous. I don't know how to get people who are happy with the result of Trump getting kicked out to separate the hate that they might have for Trump from what they're endorsing by looking the other way on these methods. And if you can do it, great. If you can't, we are going to have a problem. Not you and I, but you, me, and the rest of the country. Because we have to be able to trust media. We have to make sure that corporations and tech companies are not extensions of government propaganda. And if we can't do that basic thing, it's not going to work out in your favor every time. It's not going to be some Trump that gets ousted. It's going to be a lot of other stuff. So we are living in a very precarious time, and I'm doing my best to convey it with the proper level of outrage because this is outrageous. And no one is paying a price. Who is getting fired? Who is investigating what orders were sent to journalists to block this story or, or to social media networks? Who sent the order to these goons to write that letter? Where is the investigation? Where are the heads rolling? John Bolton, who I mentioned earlier, the crazy war hawk, he calls media government stenographers. And in this case, you can see why that's true, because they're not asking questions. And in fact, I saw the other day, uh, Stephen Colbert was making fun of a reporter for asking Biden about his flub about forcing Putin out and regime change. That's not to be made fun of. That's a journalist doing their job. And someone needs to look into Hunter's stupid paintings too. Because that guy, what, what you think it's because he's such an amazing artist? Look at her. Look at how I paint. I use my finger and sometimes I use my toes and sometimes I use my nose after I snort some coke. Whatever it is that he's doing, you know, the reason anyone would pay hundreds of thousands or whatever the hell they're selling for is to buy influence. That's it. So, so who are we fooling? Why are we looking the other way? Because you like the guy? Because you're grateful that Trump is out? It's not good enough. Because the guts are rotten. Who's going to fix that? Who's even trying? No outrage. Why? Now, another example of this interplay between propaganda and conspiracy is the biolab situation. Our favorite person, the architect of the Ukraine coup, Victoria Newland, was at Congress. Now she works for the Biden administration. She works for Anthony Blinken. This is her testimony to Marco Rubio. She is part of the administration and she expressed concern. 
Does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. That doesn't mean there's bioweapons in them. It just means that we're concerned. Now, to what extent we trust a Victoria Newland? That's up to you. But a lot of people on the populist right, like Tucker Carlson and Tulsi Gabbard, who's sort of right wing now, they went out there and they said, we've got biolabs here just like we had in Wuhan. I don't know if it's exactly that, but there may be agents in this lab, chemical agents, that could be a problem if they fall into Russia's hands. They maybe speculated a little bit, but it was not crazy and accurate what they said because it was really based on this testimony. Then Mitt Romney goes out there and he calls Tulsi Gabbard treasonous. Well, Republican Senator Mitt Romney issued a scathing response, tweeting, quote, Tulsi Gabbard is parroting false Russian propaganda. Her treasonous lies may well cost lives. Hillary Clinton, is that you? The View called Tulsi Gabbard treasonous. And I think DOJ, in the same way that it is uh, setting up a task force to investigate oligarchs, should look into people who are Russian propagandists and shilling for Putin. That's being, if you are a foreign asset uh, to a dictator, mm-hmm. it should be investigated. In fact, I remember when Tulsi Gabbard, mm-hmm. and I even hate that we're discussing it because I think to myself, who is this woman? They used to arrest people for doing stuff like this. If they thought you were... Uh, colluding with a Russian agent, if they thought you were putting out information or taking information and handing over to Russia. That's the worst cooking segment ever. What? It's all housewives watching at 11 o'clock. When is it on? 11? Noon? Who's around at that time? Why are the, why is the view commenting on biolabs? Anyway, so they're calling her and calling Tucker Carlson treasonous. They're accusing me of saying that somehow there are bioweapons labs in Ukraine. I've said no such thing at any point. I have said that there are biolabs in Ukraine that have received U.S. support that contain dangerous pathogens, that if those labs are breached, then, then we in the world are facing a potential future of pandemics, that this is a dangerous crisis that needs to be addressed immediately. These pathogens need to need to be destroyed. The second thing they're saying is they deny, even though there is a plethora of evidence that exists, they deny that these biolabs are even there, which is shocking to me that you've, we've heard over and over. You played so many clips from people in, in the mainstream media are saying these biolabs, these supposed biolabs, as though there's some fantasy when over and over and over again, officials from our own government, Department of State, Department of Defense and so on are saying these biolabs in Ukraine have dangerous pathogens, and we're very concerned that they may be breached. This risk has been validated by the Biden administration, by Victoria Nuland. So it is dark and ominous how quickly media caught on to that. And all these sycophants were retweeting all of these stories, uh, how these guys are committing treason by talking about biolabs. What's treasonous about saying there's a risk here? And I also have to wonder about the view. Is it 
programming for housewives or for programming housewives? Because I suspect it's the latter. A lot of these shows take the most obvious and predictable pro-government position. It very much reeks of Eastern European propaganda. In fact, uh, there was one night when all of the late night hosts decided to do climate night. What, what a miracle. They all have the same agenda on climate and it's the same agenda as the administration and they're doing it coincidentally on the same night. That doesn't feel like propaganda to anybody. It is ominous and people need to question it more and they also need to diversify their information streams. And maybe somehow over time, you triangulate on something close to truth. And even then it's not going to be truth because a lot of information is just unavailable. Uh, but I could tell you one thing, what we're doing now feels a lot like Eastern Europe, a lot like where I escaped. And I don't want to go back there. I certainly don't want to go back to Ukraine. And I don't think we want to create uh, Russia or Ukraine here, but we can, we can do it. And this is how. And China, of course, is taking advantage. So their, uh, one of their official news agencies tweeted, recent revelation of U.S. biological military activities in Ukraine has sparked widespread concerns, but it just disclosed the tip of the iceberg in U.S. quote, biological military empire across the world. World needs answer on U.S. biolabs. That's a translation. Everyone latches onto it. There's a limit to how much lying you can do to people over time before they don't trust anything and everything starts to feel like propaganda. You could only suppress so many Hunter Biden stories and you could only call so many people uh, treasonous or racists or libtards or whatever the, the means of completely dismissing them is. We need to take those terms away and start thinking a little bit more critically and start using a scalpel instead of a hammer. And there was a, a smart observation in The Atlantic about the populist right has taken on also a very weird position. They're the anti-anti-Putin position because it's not quite pro-Putin because you'd look like a freak uh, coming out for Putin. He is murdering lots and lots of people. While the point in the article was good, the rest of the article was just as obtuse as the anti-anti-Putin people. It was just as black and white. So one thing it did was it weaponized labels. Anyone that you, they didn't like was labeled far right, even though I know them not to be far right. The other thing is they conflated the biolabs conspiracy, which really wasn't a conspiracy. They conflated that with QAnon and all these other conspiracy theories that are just completely batshit crazy. By doing that, you're trying to marginalize any legitimate questioning of why we're funding biolabs in Ukraine. So now we can't even ask the question because the only people who would ask this question are clearly QAnon nutbags. And then the last thing is this quote, Zelensky is a Jewish leader committed to democracy. It's just as simplistic as what the right-wingers are saying, like uh, Madison Cawthorn, who's a, this, you know, Trumpy kind of young congressman. He said, Zelensky is a thug. Both are equally unnuanced. There's no cause for simplistic opinions. 
And the White House has admitted that they're actively working with media companies, all of these influencers and TikTokers to get their message across, which is another word for propaganda. Like this beautiful TikToker explaining economics. It's all wrong, but you can't look away because she's beautiful. Listen to this. I had the opportunity to ask the White House why gas down the street is $7, and here's what they said. The obvious reason, we're getting out of a two-year pandemic. When use goes up, price goes up. But the call was predominantly about Ukraine and Russia, so how does that relate? Russia is one of the top three producers of oil, and it is actually their number one revenue source. Now, with Putin starting this horrific fight between Ukraine and Russia, nobody wants to work with him and do an international trade. So with people being scared of war and limited resources, prices are bound to go up as well. With my brain in her body, I would be Thanos. I would conquer the universe. Now with her brain in her body, she's just a pretty propagandist. And with my brain in my body, I'm just pretty hungry. <laughs> I could use a sandwich. And you don't really need a lot of pro-Ukraine propaganda because there's already kind of a natural bias that's baked into the reporting in three ways. First, the war is happening in Ukraine. So the entire place is covered with people with cell phones, regular citizens who can film things and the stuff they're going to put out is naturally going to favor Ukraine. Russian soldiers aren't on their phones. They are doing the attacking and the killing. And so the Ukrainian citizens are going to have a bias. And we're all going to have a natural bias. There's a country that's clearly being invaded. Civilians are being murdered. So, of course, we're going to side, deservedly so, with the underdog. And also, both countries have an incentive to lie about the numbers. So, Ukraine wants to inflate the numbers. If more civilians are killed, then they're hoping that they can get more help from NATO. And by inflating the Russian kills and destruction of equipment, they're also demoralizing Russian troops and hopefully demoralizing Russian citizens and maybe forcing them to protest Putin or oust him. And then it's in Russia's interest to deflate the numbers because they have the exact opposite incentives. And social networks are playing along. They're doing their wartime service, even though it's not our war, it kind of is because it's a proxy war. When the Patriot Act was enacted after 9-11, Every single mobile company had NSA offices inside their building. They had access to any records they wanted. They didn't have to subpoena it or anything. Don't bet that something like that doesn't exist now. I don't know if it's specific to Ukraine or specific to social media companies, but just don't be surprised when the relationship between government and tech companies is stronger than we think. One thing that leads me to be a little suspicious of the social media companies is when the war started, out of nowhere, I started seeing in my feed reporting from the Kiev Independent. And I'm like, oh, Kiev Independent. It's based in Kiev and it's independent. How could this thing be bad? So I did a little research. It turns out the Kiev Independent is a new publication that was organically created by the brave people of 
the National Endowment for Democracy. What is the National Endowment for Democracy, you might ask? This is how ProPublica, which is a public interest, nonprofit, independent news. And from what I've seen, they're actually pretty good and reliable. This is their characterization. Quote, the National Endowment for Democracy was established by Congress, in effect, to take over the CIA's covert propaganda efforts. But unlike the CIA, the NED promotes U.S. policy and interests openly. The co-founder of NED, Alan Weinstein, he basically admitted this in a Washington Post article. The, the article is called Innocence Abroad, the New World of Spyless Coups. And his quote in there said, a lot of what we do today was done covertly 25 years ago by the CIA. So essentially, this is a government propaganda tool and publication entirely created to give us the information and the perspective the government wants us to have. And their defense reporter, Ilya Pomerenko, also kind of came out of nowhere. He's got over 2 million followers in less than two weeks. So this is getting promoted. It's getting a lot of play. And same thing with the Kiev Independent. It's got millions of followers now because partially of the war and partially because this is what the government and its probably relationship with social media, what they want to propagate. And a former CIA officer told a publication called Declassified that the NED is a vehicle for U.S. government propaganda. The NED funds activist groups and other publications like Bellingcat and Thomson Reuters Foundation. So it's given them over $3 million between 2016 and 2021. So the goal is to use information to get governments and people to comply with the U.S. agenda. And surprise, surprise, guess who shows up again? Victoria Newland. That's right. The woman who testified about the labs on behalf of Anthony Blinken. The woman who helped plot the coup in Ukraine. The woman who advised Dick Cheney, who is pro-interventionism. Turns out, until last year, she was a board member of NED, the National Endowment for Democracy. And from 2018 to 2019, she served as the CEO of the Center for a New American Security, a think tank, which is a propaganda tool, funded by every major defense contractor, Wall Street Bank, and several foreign governments and then quit to serve in the Biden administration. She is also married to another uh, advocate of interventionism, Robert Kagan. What are we doing? How are we allowing this to happen? How are these people crawling their way back into every administration? She is representative of what everyone refers to as the deep state. Always there, always kind of involved, but no one knows their names. Well, we know one name, and I don't want to put it all on her. She's got her agenda, and it's our business to know her agenda. And now that we do, be smarter about scrutinizing the appointments of our government. And I don't know how much is a conspiracy, but certainly when you're in charge of a group that is funded by all these outside interests, and then you take jobs in the government, people have a right to be suspicious. 
And if someone has information to the contrary to any of this stuff, just email steve at themcfuture.com. And the NED was part of a $5 billion effort to help do regime change in Ukraine. So it's all come full circle. American conspiracy, American propaganda, American corruption. We've got it all. And we better figure out how to change it. And honestly, when I started reading about all this stuff, it was just crushing. And, and you know, these propaganda agents are just scattered throughout the internet and they're getting tons of followers. There's another guy, Ilya Lazovsky. He's funded by OCCRP, which is a state department group. So he's government funded and he goes out there like an independent reporter. There's another guy who has tons of followers who's supposedly an indie blogger, Nolan Peterson. He was a former Air Force uh, special operations pilot and now his publication, Coffee or Die, is getting millions of views. There's photos of him at an NED conference. So what's his funding like? The truth is murky at best. And I'm afraid that the more confused we are and the more suspicious we are of each other and the truth, the more that promotes the power of whoever is in charge, because no one is able to gather enough momentum or enough of a coalition to change things. And no one is looking at these people because no one has a a common fact base, because we're all questioning each other and pointing fingers at each other. There's another group called the RAND group, which does uh, research for the government or military contractors. Those are their main clients. They wrote an analysis uh, a while back saying the West's weapons won't make any difference to Ukraine, that Ukraine poses very little threat to Russia, which a lot of us thought. But did we think it because it was true? Did we think it because Rand helped propagate this thought in our heads and it was amplified by media that doesn't question anything or is complicit in some cases? I don't know. Maybe this was all strategic. Maybe you want to put it out there and make sure Putin gets this type of information that our best researchers at RAND looked at the situation and says, look, these guys got nothing. Putin's going to conquer them in no time. And he's like, yeah, this won't take any time at all. So I'm going to go in there and, and go get him. Go get him, tiger. So maybe that was it. Or maybe it was just a mistake. We have no clue. And that's very unsettling. What's even more unsettling is because we're fighting with each other, because there's so much misinformation and propaganda, including official propaganda from the government, as we've seen, a lot of civil liberties are being compromised, just like they were during the post-9-11 period and the Patriot Act. Already, Representative Thomas Massey caught this. So this was slipped into the Russian sanctions bill on pages 19, 20, and 21. It gives the president broad authority to sanction virtually anyone anywhere in the world, whether they are connected to Russia or not. And I looked at the actual text. So this isn't just his biased interpretation. I looked at the, at the document. And feel free to Google it yourself. This is being slipped in and giving the government 
incredible power to use these tools of corporations, of banks, to cut people off, whether it's related to Russia or not. This is in the bill that they're passing. These are the liberties we're giving up. These are the questions we're not asking. And we, once again, are in the process of surrendering rights because of something that, at best, is an unfortunate, tragic, awful thing. And at worst, something we're complicit in. All right, guys, uh, this episode is pretty long, so I'm going to break it up into segments. It's probably going to be four sections, and I'm just going to release it. I'm not going to wait weeks or whatever. I'm just going to release it as uh, I finish it. So this is the first section. I am going to release a second section, and then there might be, uh, there's actually going to be a a, a Patreon episode that I already planned after I'm finished with all these. So I'm going to take a break now, take you into the next section, which is oil, and then finally scenario. So I'm going to put them out as quickly as possible just so you don't have to wait. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Tell a friend, tell others. I will see you very shortly on the next episode.